John chapter 15, verse 1 to 8. Sorry to those who were online. We had the microphone muted. We forgot about it. We had some lovely harmonies in the uh, congregation here this morning with that song. So it was really nice to hear. So John chapter 15, verses 1 to 8. If you'd like to turn with me and follow on, I'm reading from the English Standard Version. I am the true vine, and my father is a vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified. That you might that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you, Lord, for this, this word that you have for us this morning, another in the I Am series. And Lord, we know that without you, we are nothing. Lord, I pray that you will keep us fully attached to you, growing in you, so that we, we may grow to know you more. Lord, I pray that as Sam comes to speak this morning, that you will open his mouth and you will open his, our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Morning, Chapel Street. Morning to Chapel Street online. I'm just good that we're still connected here physically, but also online too. Well, as you probably have guessed, we're back in the mini-series on the I Am Saints. Of Jesus, of which there are seven, there's going to be eight in the series. And if you stick around long enough, you'll find out where there, why there are eight. But today it's, I am the true vine. Remember that when the Lord uses the phrase, I am, he is saying, I am God. Self-existent one who has always been and always will be. He makes out is God because he is. If you read the whole council of scripture, we'll get why that is true. But when he says, I am, he says something else. I am the true vine in this case. He's explaining that he is God like the vine, like the light of the world, like the way, the truth, and the life. And so we must understand what the I am is saying about his nature. So here we are, the true vine. Now to understand the context that we find ourselves in here, we need to understand that in the Old Testament, there are many metaphors for the people of Israel, one of which is the vine. We find that in Exodus, portrayed as a vine, we find that in Psalm 80. It's in pretty much every single prophet. It's not always a good picture. The people of Israel are the vine. The people that are meant to 
bear fruit for God. Psalm 80 says, you, God, brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted them. The voice that the prophets bring around the people of Israel as the vine celebrates a bad thing. It suggests that the vine has gone astray, that it hasn't worshipped God, that it's worshipped idols, that it's not born fruit. Read Hosea, read Isaiah, Ezekiel, some of the other minor prophets. I just want you to hear this one in Jeremiah 2, 20. The prophet says, for long ago, I broke your yoke and burst your bonds. But you said, I will not serve. Yes, on every hill that was high and under every green tree, you bowed down like a harlot. Yet I planted you a choice vine, holy of pure seed. How then have you turned degenerate and become a wild vine? We know that the Lord in Mark 12 gives us that story of the vineyard owner handing his vineyard to some tenants to look after it. At the right time, when the fruit was ready, he sent some of his, or a servant of his, to go and gather some of the fruit for himself. And the tenants of the vineyard treated this servant badly and beat him up. And so he sent another and another and another. And they beat them up and they murdered some of them. And then at last he sent his own son. Surely he said they will listen to him. And they said, here comes the heir. Let's kill him. So they did. The Lord says, what then will the owner of the vineyard do? Will he come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others? Yes, he will. Then it says, then the chief priests, the teachers of the law and the elders looked for a way to arrest Jesus because they knew that he'd spoken a parable against them. So as Jesus comes in and says, I am the true vine, recognize that the people of Israel know what he's talking about. They know that the vine should refer to them. Metaphor of vineyards is very important. And the vine that is Israel has withered. So I want us just to skip, as it were, through this text, just in simple ways, quite quickly. I've got three little areas I want us to zone in on. And then I've got three points of application but I'm hoping will be an encouragement to us today. Follow along in the verses with me. If you have your Bible, John 15, verse one, following the Lord says, I am pronouncing he is God, the true vine. So the vine has moved firstly from the people of Israel to the I am. Jesus is saying, God is the vine and it's me. It's not the people of Israel. It's a person. Did you notice that he said, I'm the true vine? Not just the vine, I'm the true vine. I'm the one that Israel should have been a picture of in the Old Testament. And he says, and my father, 
is the vine dresser. He's the pruner. He's the one that's tending the vine. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away. You mustn't get too particular about these metaphors, but I think that text is referring to errant Israel, Israel that should be connected to the vine, but is not bearing fruit. Consequently, is taken away. And he says, but every branch that does bear fruit, the vine dresser prunes. Why? I'm in the company here of uh, some of the greatest fruit growers east of the Nullarbor. I can't possibly pretend that I know, know much about growing fruit or anything for that matter. But I do know that if you don't cut back the apple trees, if you don't prune the plums, then the fruit you get next year will be on the new growth that grew last year and won't be quite so full, hence the need to prune. So there is, there are branches that are connected that are disconnected, they don't grow any fruit. And there are branches that are connected to this vine, which is Jesus, that are pruned, and consequently they grow more fruit. He says, already you're clean, verse 3, already you're clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Verse 4, abide in me. And I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. It's a picture of staying connected to the source, the vine, the trunk, the roots that bring the nutrients. We're not connected to this source, we do not abide. And how are we going to grow fruit? Without the vine, we can do nothing. We can grow no fruit. Not to say people don't do good things. They do. What's the purpose of doing good if you're disconnected from the source of doing good? Verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire. Burn. But verse 7 If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Now, we probably should pause there for a second and just say that unlike the prosperity gospel, which is a total lie, has nothing to do with the grace that God gives, we're not asked there to ask God for a Ferrari. Of the big bank balance. What are we asked? Hopefully we'll unpack that in a little while. He rounds out this section, and we really should have gone further into the, the second half of this passage, but time uh, permits it in this, in this one message. He rounds it off by saying, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As a true vine, as a vine dresser, there's a need to abide. 
can't bear fruit without pruning and abiding. And there's the idea that we can bear much fruit. There's the idea that the word needs to abide. There's the idea this is all for the glory of God. So three elements just to dive into, drill a little bit deeper, and then three points that I hope will bring application. The first one is to abide. To abide in the vine. We're asked to abide in the vine. If we abide in him, he will abide in us. We need to abide in the same way. Abide is a, a very old word. It's not used very much in the modern vernacular. Think of an abode. An abode is a place to abide. It is a home. It is a place to dwell. It is a dwelling. Christ is saying, dwell with me. Abide with me. Make me your home. Live in, live in and live with me. It's not always very easy to do that, though, is it? <laughs> we often abide somewhere else, perhaps with someone else, perhaps with ourselves and our own interests. You know, we abide in the world sometimes a little bit too much. You say that abiding in the vine is living, it's real life. It's living with Jesus every day. It's making him a part of your life from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed. And we abide in the vine supernaturally. There is a connection that's been made by God that has caused us to be grafted in, to be connected without anything to do with us, other than him opening our eyes and us trusting in him. The supernatural connection, the supernatural abiding but there's also a practical abiding connected supernaturally we're told here we need to be bearing much fruit so what is the practice that i'm bringing what are the things i'm doing to abide my praying speaking directly to god I'm abiding that he wants to hear our prayers am i reading his word am i doing good works for salvation, but because we love him. We need to abide. We need to do dwelling. We need to dwell well with Jesus. So you notice the second part about abiding is about the word of God. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you will. And it will be given to you. Abide in Jesus and his word needs to abide in us. That's why we come to church. One of the reasons. That's why we read our Bibles. We want to hear from his word. It needs to be in us. In fact, in Colossians, Paul tells us in chapter 316. That we need to let the word of Christ dwell. You hear that? Abide. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So do something, not just to be able to memorize scripture and quote it. What is it doing to us? What is it saying to us? Is it challenging us? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Listen, 
teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs as we've done this morning, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do, word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That's abiding in Christ. Having this word abiding in us. We need to be very careful. The Bible talks about rewards. And I'm not going to comment on them this morning. It's a very complex piece of scripture. You can't just stay connected to Christ and not grow. There's a supernatural connection, but we must abide. We must practice Christianity. Practice Christ-likeness. Without his word, that just becomes an act. And to be honest, we're all good at that, aren't we? We're good at putting on a great face and acting. Abide the word, good fruit. What is the fruit of this abiding? Well, I'm sure most of us here today will rightly go to the fruit of the spirit. Are they good fruits? It says the fruit of the spirit is love. Is joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. He says, against such things, there is no law. Abide in Jesus. There is no law to stop these fruits growing. Paul says in Colossians 3.12, listen carefully. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. It's a fruit. Kindness. It's the fruit of the Spirit again. Humility. Meekness. And patience. Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. The way Christ has forgiven you, you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Does that sound like fruit? Does that sound like fruit? Do you know what comes next? We just heard it. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. <laughs> Do you think there's a link between the fruit and the word? Absolutely there is. The fruit tastes sweet. It brings righteous expression and glory to God. The word of Christ dwelling in you richly. Bear fruit. Paul says in Philippians 1, 9, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. Fruit growing. With knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent fruit. And so be pure and blameless in the day of Christ. Fruit filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. We abide in Christ. He abides in us. His word abides in us. 
one of the fruits is righteousness. We behave righteously. I know we get it wrong. I know we fail. We fall. We come back. We find more fruit by Christ working in us. It's a prayer that makes them. It does sound to me like abiding words, fruit, and glory. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. I want to say, if we are not reading the word, where is the nourishment coming from for us to bear fruit? We're starving ourselves. The ability, the, the life, power, the spirit to bear fruit. The spirit lives in us. What is his desire? Express the things of God to you and to others. Give them the word. Let it dwell in you richly. All right. So, three simple points that I hope will bring some application to us. The first one is the pain of pruning. The pain of pruning. Pruning hurts, doesn't it? It's a metaphor, but it's about our lives. It hurts. It comes and it hurts. It's not meant to be any other way. It hurts. We need pruning if we're going to bear good fruit. It kind of gets our attention, doesn't it? Something happens in our life. And we think, oh, I wasn't expecting that. That hurts. It's difficult. How do I fix that? Read the Psalms. The Psalms are full of people complaining often about their situation and the difficulties, the pruning that has come to their lives. And what do they do? They cry out to God, they confess their life. This is happening to them. It's painful. What kind of pruning do we get in our lives today? And the answer is all kinds. Every kind. Some get more than others in different areas, I know. There isn't a person in this room that knows Christ or online that knows Christ that isn't being pruned in some way. Illness, loneliness, depression, struggles of every kind. Loss of a loved one. Prayed for Josiah and his family this morning. Imagine the, the pain they're experiencing at the moment. COVID, marital strife, tensions at work and at home, money troubles, feeling far away from God. You ever felt far away from God? Sometimes you read his word regularly and you still feel far away from God. Do you think God can use that as a kind of pruning? Or cause you to endure? Sometimes we just feel that God is silent. I have. And that's just here. It's just in this context. Imagine what the mission field is like. Imagine what it's like to go to a people group that have never heard the gospel, who are animistic, whose uh, cultural expectation is to murder the next tribe. Missionaries struggle when they come back to our context to see a kind of different sort of pruning going on. And we're all being pruned. Pain is part of pruning. But in the pruning, 
become something amazing. The Bible calls it sanctification. Justification, which comes through the cross, the death of Christ, the burial, the resurrection. We're declared righteous because of his atoning sacrifice and trusting and believing him, grafted into this vine. Sanctification comes as a lifelong process, however long we are given, and it comes through pruning. Jesus says to his Father, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Wow. It's a very, very strong picture in the Bible over and over again of perseverance, of endurance, of long suffering. How does this work? How does the word sanctify us? In the context of being pruned and being in pain. It's quite straightforward. It tells us there's a hope. One day there will be no pain, there will be no tears. It tells us of the promises of God. Jesus says, In this world you will have tribulation, you will have trouble, you will be pruned. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Promises are sweet and they cause us to endure and to change and to bend and to break. For those who desire to leave a godly life in Christ Jesus shall suffer. You desire to lead a godly life, do you? Say yes. <laughs> You're going to suffer. It's going to be hard. God has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Beautiful verse in Hebrews. He's perfected you for all time, past tense. But you're being sanctified. He will do it. The scripture tells you the truth. Listen to this. This is such a powerful text. Romans 5 3. Paul says, Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Really? You rejoice in the pruning? Yes. He says, Knowing that suffering produces endurance. That's what the word's about. It's okay, Sam. This is hard. This is, this is really hurting you. But I have overcome the world. Stick with me. Abide in me. Suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character. And character produces hope, and hope doesn't put us to shame. Why? Because the love of God has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character, and character produces hope. The world does not understand that. Suffering in the world without Christ does not bring hope. It's hopeless. Something less than hopefulness. Getting Christ brings hope. Because we believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We believe in him coming. We believe that he'll take us to be with him. Where we will dwell perfectly. You long for that day? I believe I 
what do you do? Did you notice the bit in the middle? Suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Character? Endurance produces character. We get that idea in the, in the secular world. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. That's that character idea of character. That's not what this is. The character that's being talked about here is the vine. It's Jesus' character. It's him that we are being transformed into the likeness of. You should say amen to that. You want to be like Jesus? You want to bring glory to God? You want to bear good fruit? Well, the suffering is doing that. Point number two, then, the power of providence. Very quick couple of points to close now. The power of providence. God foresees what you need. Providence, um, Latin word, pro in for, videntia, to see. God's foreseeingness for you to know what suffering you need. God is a, a heart surgeon of pruning. Sense. He knows exactly what we need. We always go about in the Christian uh, context talking about the sovereignty of God. God is good, we say. God is sovereign. But sometimes I think we don't necessarily apply that to our situation. We don't say to ourselves, this is working out for my good and God's glory. Because he foresees what you need. We don't really foresee anything know what's going to happen tomorrow we think we do we think we know how things will play out but god knows how things will play out and so he causes them to work for our good you think of a verse chimes in the background there power of providence make sure that god brings you to a sanctified holy place even jesus suffered jesus suffered bled and died. If you will, he was proved and pruned. His perfection was shown to the world. Paul says, I want to know Christ. Sounds great. I want to know Christ. I want to buy. Knowing him, not just as a means of salvation, but knowing him as a lifelong thing. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. That sound good? I want to know Christ. I want to know what the power of his resurrection is. I want to know what real life is. And then he says, the fellowship of his sufferings. So as to be somehow changed into his likeness. Pruning has power. It's God's power. It's the power of the cross. It's the power of the resurrection that changes you, that gives you that hope that doesn't disappoint. It's the power that says it's worth it. It's worth it for God's glory. You believe God's power is at work in you? His purposes to perform? It is. 
might not feel it, but other people might know it, they might see it. And lastly, point three, the purpose in persevering. The purpose in persevering. We've got pruning, there's a pain, it's producing fruit. Why? Well, because it brings glory to God. John 5, John 15, back to our passage, verse 8. Jesus simply says, by this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. And so prove to be my disciples. The purpose of being connected to the vine is life. Bearing fruit. The purpose of pruning is to sanctify us, to be more like Christ. And if we bear much fruit, we bring glory to God. Paul says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Sometimes that's hard to believe, isn't it? It's hard to take in the midst of suffering. Paul says, I, I, I believe that it's not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed. He says elsewhere, we don't lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction, this light momentary pruning is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Paul knew what suffering was. He really knew. He was beaten and whipped to within an inch of his life. Persecuted everywhere he went. His purpose, folks, in persevering. William Cowper is a poet and a hymnal, hymnist from the 18th century. You know me, you know I like poetry, and he's written two, in my opinion, utterly amazing poems, one that was turned into a hymn. We will sing in our closing hymn today. He was a man that. Uh, was very depressed his whole life. Before he knew Christ, he was uh, in a mental institution, termed insane. Didn't have the modern uh, medical understanding of all the different things back then. And very depressed to the point of suicide. He attempted suicide many times. And I gather from one anecdote I read years ago that uh, John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace, was a good friend of his and actually saved him at one point from drowning. One of uh, the phrases that we have in the modern vernacular of church for the last few hundred years comes directly from him. God moves in there it is, mysterious ways. It comes from a poem and a hymn by William Cowper. I want to read a line or a, a, a verse from that as we move towards our closing. I want you to listen carefully. It says, O fearful saints, new courage take. The clouds that you now dread are big with mercy and will break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning robber. 
finds this I'm the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Feel like you're being pruned. Maybe you're in a season where you don't feel like you're being pruned. Amen. But if you are, know that the father is pruning. He wants to sanctify you. Some of you are being pruned. Some of you are really suffering. I know you are because you told me. Let me just commend you to abide in the vine. Abide in Christ. Let him abide in you. Let his words abide in you. Let them dwell richly so that they're at work in you, that his promises become real to you. Trust him. Bear fruit. I'm the vine, and the true one, and my father is the vine dresser. Abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself, whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Oh, our gracious God, Lord, I thank you that you're a perfect pruner, that you know where we need to be pruned. Thank you, Lord, that we do have a desire because we're connected to Jesus, grafted in to that vine. We do have a desire to bear much fruit. And Lord, if we confess truly, we struggle. We find it hard. And yet, Lord, we know that your word is true. And it tells us that you are sanctifying us. So, Lord, I pray that this week as we go out into this world, we remind ourselves of your providence. There's a power that comes from your word, from the cross, that drives us forward. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to hang on to that hope because we know that the suffering will produce hope. Just give thanks for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.